Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, we're in part three of our collection of talks. Seven, revelations of Jesus for his church. In this message, Mind Slayer, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. shares practical truths we can learn from Jesus' instruction to the church in Pergamum to fight mental battles and remain committed to our faith. For more resources on the seven churches in Revelation, check out vuchurch.com slash seven. Now let's lean into the message together. So happy you're in church today. If you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Someone say, uh-oh. We're just saying that every week. If you are just joining us today, we are in a seven-week collection in honor of our seven years as a church, studying the seven churches in Revelation. And today is part three. Someone say part three. And uh, I believe God has been speaking to us the last few weeks. Uh, I'm really pumped because next Sunday, everyone say next Sunday, uh, my good friend, you know her as a worship artist, but I also think she is a potent preacher of the gospel. This past year, she put out an entire worship project based on uh, the seven churches in Revelation. And next Sunday, we have my good friend, Brooke Lidgerwood coming to preach the gospel. I'd encourage you. It's a great Sunday to be at church. You're not gonna want to miss it. Trust me, she's gonna bring fire. But today we're gonna be looking at Revelation chapter two, starting in verse 12. Just bringing us up to speed, if you're just joining us. This letter that we're studying, it all kicks off with the apostle John who has been exiled to the island known as Patmos. The reason why he's been exiled is because he refused to bow down to the Roman emperor known as Domitian. And with it, he's sent to this prison island. It's a quarry that he in his 80s is on this island and he has this experience where he sees and hears the risen Christ. And Jesus gives him seven different messages to give to seven different churches. And I've been saying it this way, that as John sees Jesus, he doesn't see gentle Jesus. He sees glorious Jesus. Jesus is alive and he's well and he's active in our life. And he brings these seven messages. First week was the church of Ephesus, which was all about lost love, that they had lost their first love. Last week was the church of Smyrna. And really they were under pressure and today is the church of Pergamum. Let me read it this way. Revelation chapter two, verse 12 starts this way. Jesus says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans, Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And I wanna take a moment today and I wanna preach from the subject, Mind Slayer. Mind Slayer. And uh, would you pray with me one more time? Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we believe that today, God, it's active in our life. Lord, as we read it today, we ask that it would read us. Change us from the inside out. May we never be the same. May we see Jesus in a fresh way. We love you. We praise you. And if you agree with that prayer, all of God's people said. Come on, all of God's people said. If you love Jesus, make a little bit of noise today. Well, we are in our third church, which is the church known as Pergamum. Everyone say Pergamum. And Pergamum was actually written about saying that it was uh, the most illustrious city of Asia Minor. In fact, as you study Pergamum, what you'll find out is that it was the capital city of Asia. So think, um, think London, think Edinburgh, think Berlin, um, think Paris. In the same way that all of those capital cities have this vibe or this atmosphere to them, that's what Pergamum was like to Asia Minor. It had this energy. It had this life force to it. Any Hunger Game fans out there? Where's the Hunger Game fans? A few of us. Okay, wow, okay, wow. We're gonna pray for you. Uh, great show. Um, but, 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 but the capital in, in the Hunger Games is what I think about when I think about Pergamum, that like from there was so much influence. This was a smart city, or at least they thought they were a smart city. They had the second largest library in the known world, over 200,000 some manuscripts. Now think about this, all handwritten manuscripts. In fact, the idea of literary activity was so tied to Pergamum, we actually get the word parchment is what they would write on from the name Pergamum. And so here we have this capital city that has so much influence and Jesus sends a message and if you notice, his message starts a little bit different from how Ephesus began and how Smyrna began. Yes, he commends this church, but he kind of, he kind of comes in really, really strong. He, he starts the writing by saying this, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. So these are Jesus' first words to this church. Yo, John, tell the angel of the church of Pergamum, the pastor, the leader, the messenger of that church, tell them the one who's speaking has a mouth or a tongue that is in the shape of a double-edged sword. That's how he starts. You say, okay, but Rich, why is he starting so strongly with this church? I think there's a couple of reasons for it. Um, the first of which is I think that Jesus is setting precedence with Pergamum. And the precedence that, that he is stating is that he wants them to know exactly who he is, but he wants to make sure that they know that he is greater and he is much stronger than anyone living in Pergamum. See, when you study Pergamum, what you'll find out is that the symbol of the city of Pergamum was a sword. It was because the Roman Empire had given them what they call the right of the sword, meaning that they could use capital punishment whenever they wanted to use it. And so Jesus is talking to the city that has the symbol as the sword saying, yo, I want you to hear who's talking to you. 
It is me, the one that when I open up my mouth, my tongue is like a double-edged sword. Do not fear Pergamum. You ought to know who's talking to you. You say, well, what is this sword? And we can start talking metaphorically about this sword, but it's pretty clear. Revelation chapter 19, if you know your Bible, we know exactly what this sword is. Look at this. I get pumped here. This is my old school preacher coming out right now. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Jesus is coming back for his church. What we are doing today is serious business. What we are doing today is life in death. What we are doing today really matters. For John saw in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Watch this. His eyes are like flames of fire. This is the same Jesus we see in Revelation 1 that has eyes of fire. Revelation 19, flames of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh is the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come on, somebody. He's saying to the Christians there in Pergamum, hey, Christians in Pergamum, do not fear the sword of Pergamum, but rather fear the sword of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I'm coming back for you. And so he's setting a precedence. I think the same precedence has to be in all of us. Where does wisdom begin? Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Some of us were more afraid of the world than we are God. And he's trying to make sure that they understand where their fear belongs. It does not belong with the Roman Empire. It belongs with the one who's stronger than the Roman Empire. But the second reason why I think he's doing this, and I think this is really important, and this is really where our study begins today and how we find practical application for you and I, is why on earth would the Prince of Peace, that's who Jesus is, why would he employ such language that gives us a picture of violence, of weaponry, why would he use this type of language? I think once again, the second reason why he does this is because he is letting everyone there in Pergamum know that they are in an intense battle. We need to be very clear today that you and I, we too are living in a very intense battle. It was more intense then, but we are living in an intense battle. And what is this intense battle? This intense battle is the battle of the mind. And he says, I am coming with a sword to rightly divide truth that when I speak, you will know right from wrong and that you will make sure that your thought life and your mind where there is a battle taking place, you will understand that whom the sun sets free is actually free indeed. Look at what John Stott says. He was a wonderful theologian and pastor. He says it this way. He says, here in Pergamum pitched a battle that was being fought in which soldiers were not men, but ideas. So what's taking place here in Pergamum is that Jesus is coming with a sword 
because he wants to draw a line in the sand once and for all to say that if you do not know God's truth, you will be bound by the enemy's lies. Pergamum separates itself from the first two churches, Ephesus and Smyrna, where those two churches were dealing with pressure from the outside. And no doubt Pergamum is dealing with external oppression. But there's something else going on in Pergamum. They're not just dealing with external oppression. They are dealing with internal deception. That there are lies that are going around in the church. And so Jesus says, I'm going to open up my mouth. And when I speak, my tongue is like a double-edged sword. And it's going to cut the cancer out. Because if I don't cut that cancer out, it will infect and destroy the entire body. And so just the imagery alone speaks to them there, but it ought to speak to us now, that we too are in an intense battle. But the battle that we are in is not with soldiers, it's with the ideas of this world. And many of us, even in this room right now, the only time you get God's truth is one day a week, and then you go back out to be indoctrinated by a secular society that will only create anxiety, depression, fear, worry, and hurt. And what we all need is we need the true mind slayer, the one who comes to cut through the lies and speak truth to our soul. Come on, anybody believe today that Jesus Christ is the one who sets us free? He wants to set us free and he wants to set you free. And freedom it starts in our mind. I've learned that many people, um, they're headed to heaven, but they're bound on earth. I've learned that your heart can be changed, but your mind can still be bound. And so it's not just the oppression from the outside, it's the deception on the inside. And so therefore he comes with war language that I've come to wage war with the lies. And how does Jesus begin? Well, he begins, and I just always, whenever I'm doing a Bible study, always kind of have a basic outline. Here's my basic outline today as we go through the text. It's really, really easy. He commends, he complains, and then all of a sudden he commands, and then what does he do? He, he lastly, what's the last one? He, he commits to them. You just watch it. You'll watch it in the text as we go through it. But the first thing he does is he commends. How does he, how does he commend them? Revelation chapter two, verse 13. Listen to this language. He says, I know where you dwell. Someone say dwell. Where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. So he starts how he's been starting. He encourages this church. I see you. I, you are, listen to what he says. You're living where Satan's throne is. Now, how bad does the city gotta be for Jesus to be like, yo, ah, dang. Uh, just so you know, Satan's got a throne in that city. I see you, you, you dwell there and you're not giving up and you haven't quit and good job, you know? I, I think if we're not careful, you, you ever meet the Christians who are like, um, they think the devil's everywhere, you know? It's like the devil, you know, like, you know, no matter what, it's like, it's raining, the devil. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> no, you know, like, like, like you, you lose your job, it's the devil. Well, you were also late to work every day. Um, 
I remember I heard one preacher when I was a kid, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and preacher came through, man, he was fiery. He started preaching this whole message on the devil. You know, I'm like, dang, bro. He's like, let me tell you about the devil. Ooh, devil, ooh. You take the D off a of devil, guess what you get? You get evil. He's like, man, the devil's evil. He's real evil. Let me tell you what, you take the E off of evil, guess what you get? You get vile. <laughs> the devil is vile. He goes, you take the V off of vile, guess what you get? Ill. Ooh, the devil will make you ill. He goes, you take the ill, you take the I off of ill, guess what you get? You get L. If you listen to the devil, you're going straight to L. <laughs> A five-point sermon off the devil's name, bro. <laughs> Listen, I don't think everything's the devil, but I think some things are the devil. And we ought to be able to understand that at times as believers, we're going to face the threats and the plans and the strategy of the devil. And Jesus commends this church by saying, I see where you dwell. I see where you live. Where you live is where the enemy has literally put a throne. Now, why would he say that the devil has a throne there? I, I don't actually know. I just know from research and studying, there's, this place is, is pagan. It has all sorts of gods at different temples. In fact, we've been talking a lot about the last two weeks, emperor worship, that they were coming in and you had to worship the emperor as a, a divine being or you'd be persecuted. That was invented in Pergamum. That was the capital city. That, they influenced all the other cities to do that. But also in Pergamum was the temple to Zeus. Zeus is the greatest Greek god ever. But let's just be honest, there's no such thing as Zeus. There's only Satan. So, so Satan is there in Pergamum. There was also a, a god known as Escapolis, who was, who was the god of healing. And people would come from everywhere to go to the, the temple of Escalapis. And really what they would do is this, this God was depicted as a symbol of a serpent. And so the temple was filled with poisonless snakes. And people would come sick in their body and they would stay a night in the temple and they would lay on the floor. And allegedly when the snakes would slither over their body, what it would do is heal their body. This is how entrapped and how deceived people were in this place. We know throughout the scripture from Genesis to Revelation that the devil himself is depicted as a slithering snake. So I don't know what it is, whether it's Zeus, whether it's emperor worship, whether it's the temple of the snake, but somehow Jesus looks and says, this place that you are in, it is dark, it is demented, and it's full of lies. And he says, you dwell there. That's where you live. What's really fascinating, I've been doing this last two weeks, I'm gonna do it again today, is when you look up the word dwell in Greek, typically throughout the entire New Testament, whenever this word would be used, the Greek word would be the word parokine. Everyone say parokine. And this word by definition would mean a stranger or a sojourner, meaning like someone who's just passing through. How many of y'all know we're just passing through this life I know we're having a, we're actually, I know we're having a human experience right now, but we're actually all spiritual beings. And one day we will be reunited with our maker and we will live in heaven, not happily ever after, heaven ever after. So we're all just traveling through. And so most of the time, whenever that word is used, it's the word parakeen, but that's not the word that's used in Revelation. Instead, it's the word katokeen, which means residence in a permanent and settled place. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I see where you live. And guess what? You can't leave. You can't pack up and move to Nashville. 
You can't pack up and find yourself in Dallas with all the other believers. No, you have to stay put right there in Miami. You gotta stay right there in that neighborhood where it feels like paganism is everywhere. But I have put you there on purpose for a purpose. You're not leaving, you gotta stay put. Oh, I'm trying to preach to our church today because we are a spiritual outpost. We are a lighthouse in the midst of darkness and we need a group of people like Pergamum that would say, I'm gonna stay planted right here no matter how dark it gets, no matter how many lies come, I'm called here. I'm called here. I'm called to this place. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you gotta stay, you don't get to leave. And I see what's going on there. I see how dark it is. I see all the lies. He starts speaking about a church father named Antipas. We don't have a lot of information about Antipas. Most believe he was probably the pastor of the church of Pergamum. But tradition would tell us that Antipas was slaughtered and killed. The way that he was killed is that he was roasted to death inside a bronze bull. He goes, I've seen my faithful servant Antipas, that he did not give up, that he did not bow his knee to the emperor, but rather he was faithful. I see where you are living and I commend you. You can't leave, it's necessary that you stay. Some of us, we think Miami is bad. We have no idea the weight of Pergamum. We have no idea the levels of oppression, the levels of pressure in Pergamum, and here Jesus speaks to his church and he commends them. I I saw Antipas die and he was faithful and you're faithful. I see where you dwell, but you can't leave. You, You gotta stay. You gotta be a resident of that dark place. He commends them, but watch now, he's going to complain about them. And what does he say? He says this, Revelation chapter two, verse 14. I love Jesus, but I have a few things against you. I'm like, dang, yo, do you know where I'm living? I, I'm not at the temple of the snake. Yo, I'm here at church. Yeah, but I still got a few things against you. They killed our pastor. Yeah, still got some, a few things against you. Oh my goodness. Okay. He says, you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food, sacrificed to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, you got two different groups of people that probably represent the same thing. You got the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans, and it's not too hard to discover who he's talking about, but what's taking place here in the church in Pergamum is once again, they're facing the pressure from the outside, but now there's deception on the inside. Anyone just by a show of hands, do you remember the story of Balaam in the Old Testament? Balaam, anyone remember the story of Balaam? Okay, I'll tell it to you, it's good, great, great. Balaam is an Old Testament sorcerer. I think his story is Numbers 22, Numbers 23, 24. You can go back and read it. It's a very, very peculiar story. Balaam is not, he's not a, he's not a Jewish person. He's not, he's not a follower of Yahweh, but he knows of Yahweh. He respects the power of Yahweh, but he is a prophet who could foretell the future. And he was a mystic. He was this sorcerer. And the Israelites are on the move and they come up to the territory known as Moab. And when they get to Moab, the king of Moab, his name is Balak, he is 
not happy about it. He knows the God of Israel and he knows that these people, well, God is for them. If God is for them, he knows God's probably gonna be against them. And so he goes and he calls upon Balaam. He says, yo, Balaam, can you put a curse on these people who are outside my doorstep? And Balaam's like, well, what's the price? And he's like, well, I'll pay you this. And so they, 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 he pays to use this gift. Balaam's like, yeah, I got you. It's a wild story because Balaam gets on his donkey. Maybe some of you know the story now. And he starts going out to the place where he's gonna put a curse on the Israelite people. But as he's on the road, an angel of the Lord stands in between the donkey and the place that Balaam's trying to get. And the donkey stops in his tracks and the donkey can see the angel, but Balaam can't. And so Balaam keeps hitting the donkey, get going, get going. And the donkey's just holding his ground and he keeps beating the donkey. And finally the donkey just sits down and the scripture says, then God opens the donkey's mouth. You should read the Bible. <laughs> I just love, someone today brought their friend for the first time, they're like, I promise you, man, this is different, but come back, I promise you. Yo, the donkey starts talking. And I love the donkey, he's like, he's like super practical. He's like, yo, why do you keep beating me? You know, like. This is in the Bible. And as the donkey starts talking, Balaam's eyes are opened up and he sees the angel of the Lord standing there. And immediately he's convicted. This donkey that he's beating was actually saving him. Sometimes God will use an ass to wake you up. Some of y'all, some of y'all matter, all your critics, it's only your critics who are telling you the truth. <laughs> some of you mad with some tough love, but it's sometimes it's the thing that stops you that you didn't like that was actually preventing you from moving forward into a place that was gonna be outside of the will of God. And so immediately Balaam's eyes are open up and he's like, well, I can't curse these people. I cannot curse these people, there's no way. And so Balaam keeps paying the man but he's unable to curse God's people. I want you to see this, this is very, very important. Many times what will happen is, if the enemy is unable to curse you, he will attempt to corrupt you. And our church has gotta see this today, because the scripture says in Romans that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We learned in daddy issues that if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no such thing as a curse anymore. You can't be cursed, but you could be corrupted. And so what does Balaam do? Balaam goes and gets all the women of Moab to go and seduce the Israelite men and get them to go into bed. This is completely against the law of God that these Jewish men had no business being with these enemy women and they begin to engage in sexual immorality. And what takes place is, is that Balaam is unable to curse them so he resorts to corrupting them. And the same thing is happening in Pergamum, that they can't be cursed by the devil but they can be deceived from the inside out. So you got the Balaamites, the Nicolaitans, they're the same. They were using grace as a license to do whatever they wanted to do. And the scripture says it very, very clearly. What they were doing is, is these people, they were taking pagan ideology and mixing it with Christian theology. And they were trying to use grace as a license to do whatever you want to do. And so they said, eat the food that's offered to false gods. Sleep with whoever you want to. It really does not matter. 
I wanna be very, very clear with you. This is so important that you understand this. It's one thing to struggle with your flesh. It's another thing when you use God's word to cater to your flesh. That would be called deception. I'm gonna preach in February, dating Delilah, the story of Samson. Some of us need to hear that word because self-deception is what it is. There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to destruction. I don't even know that I'm deceived. And so these lies are creeping into the church. Do whatever you want, whenever you want. It's your body. Can I just preach it the way that I feel it today? If you're a follower of Jesus, there's no such thing as it just being your body. In fact, you were bought at a price. It's not your body, it's his body. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. I don't get to do whatever I want with this body. I don't worship my body, I worship God with my body. In fact, it's, it's even wilder. When you get married, this is the beauty of marriage. When you get married, the scripture says, yo, by the way, your body's not your body. It's your spouse's body, which is, you know. <laughs> Don't sure you can have my body whenever you want, girl, all right? But it's just, it's yours. It's not even mine. I don't even, I don't even want it, you know. <laughs> I don't even want it. It's yours, you know. Take it. It's yours. No. I'm just, I want you to see that there's this idea that they are abusing the grace of God. And it, it, it's just deception, it's lies. It's lies creeping in and they don't know it. The devil can't curse them. So what he does is tries to corrupt them. He tries to corrupt us. He tries us to let a little bit of lies come in. It's amazing. Um, I was one of those kind of people that when I turned 16, I was at the DMV like that morning, like, yes, here we go. Like, I was there. I had studied and I took my written test. I did really good on my written test. And I got in the car to do my driving test. And I'm a perfectionist. And so um, I was back. I was just, I wasn't even, it wasn't a three point turn. It wasn't parallel parking. I was just backing out, but there was these four cones by the parking spot. And so I, I backed up once. I was like, ah, oh, no. I put back in drive. Then I backed up a second time. I was like, ah, oh, no. Put it back in drive. Third time, backed it up. On the third time, I, I came out of that parking spot perfect. And uh, the driver said, all right, repark it. And um, I reparked it. They said, you failed. I said, what? They said, oh, you, you can't back up three times. I said, I was just trying to do it right. You know, like, <laughs> I, I failed my driver's test. And I came back, whatever it was, a week later, finally got my driver's test. And how many of y'all, can y'all remember that when you first got your driver's license, like, oh my good, Freedom! put the music on as loud as I wanted. I'm like, where's mom and dad now? You know, like, <laughs> yes, like it's awesome. I'm like, ah, you know, like, I'm going to the gas station, mom. You know, like, <laughs> you're ready to do anything. You know, like, well, you want groceries? Let me get them, you know, like. <laughs> How many y'all understand that when you, when you get a driver's license, it, it, it's a license to drive, not a license to crash. How, how silly, just think about this. How silly would it be if I went out tomorrow and I, I drove negligently, maybe I, I drove under the influence and I, ca I caused a 10 car pileup. Maybe people got really hurt, people got really injured. And when everyone gets to the scene, I go, it's okay. I have a driver's license. You'd be like, bro, you are deceived. This is how grace works. Grace is a license to live free, not to crash willfully. 
See, grace doesn't just forgive us. Grace transforms us. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm not playing games. You are allowing pagan ideology into my house. And you are not cursed, but you can be corrupted. And guess what? They both lead to destruction. See, that's the whole thing that you gotta see today is that in blessing, bro, like corruption can hide. But in famine, it will always be exposed. You think about the last two years and so many things that have happened in the church, why? Because corruption cannot endure under persecution. So if the church is corrupt, when the oppression comes from the outside, it's going to crumble, it's going to fall. And Jesus is saying, no, you're actually stationed where I want you to be. I know it's difficult, I know it's hard, but you are my lighthouse, you are my outpost in that dark city. Hold fast and stay true to my word. It's my word that is truth, and it's my word that draws a line in the sand that wages war with the enemy and slays the one who's trying to deceive your mind. So Jesus, he commends them, he, he, he complains about them, and then what does he do? In so many ways, he, he commands them, and the command is very, very sim- simple. We've heard it many times, but here he goes again. Revelation chapter two, verse 16, therefore repent. Someone say repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. So his command is repent, and repent as we've been studying over and over again, we've been hearing a lot about it since June, is simply to change your mind. See, it's a battle of the mind, it's a battle of ideas, and it's the same thing for you and I today. We have to repent, we have to say, Lord, I'm not gonna conform to the thinking of the world, I wanna be transformed by the renewing of my mind, which is your word. Change my mind, God. Philippians four, verse eight says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, that's what you should be thinking about. Think about these things. Think about these things. This week, I was just considering for all of us practically, as we hear the message of the church in Pergamum that is having a battle of the mind, and we say, all right, daily and constantly, I need to repent How do I practically apply that to my mind? How do I change my mind daily? There's just three little words, they're really simple. The first word is the word filter. Everyone say filter. You and I, we have to filter our thoughts. Like we all understand over the last five years what it means to filter a photo. In fact, some of us, we haven't posted a real photo in about a decade now, okay? Like every photo we put up is filtered, it's it's. It's gone through something to clean it up and to make it look a certain way. Imagine, imagine what would happen if you spent as much time as you do filtering photos as you do filtering your thoughts. What's coming in? What's coming in? I'm not a doom and gloom preacher whatsoever. I'm a practical preacher. I cannot, I cannot logically think that hearing a 40 minute talk on Sunday is going to sustain the truth of God's word in my heart when I step out of these doors and then six days a week, I'm just gonna be polluted by the lies of this world. You gotta filter it. Someone say filter. If you're not filtering, you're feeding. What are you feeding your mind? What are you feeding your soul? You cannot expect positive outcomes if you only take in negative input. 
Just go through it. Like I can't think anger and not expect to be, not get angry. I can't think lust and then not expect, I'm gonna be promiscuous. So I've gotta actually filter what's coming into my mind. But it's not, it's not just filtering. The second word is the word fight. Everyone say fight. You gotta fight what's already in your mind. Like one of the greatest revelations for me over the last two years, and I, I know I'm a slow learner, maybe you've already known this, but is that not every thought that enters into your mind came from you. You're not what you thought. Well, I thought it, therefore I am it. No, 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 no. You can fight against that. What's that old saying? Like, I can't control a bird from landing in my head, but I can prevent him from creating a nest in my head. It's the same thing for you. You have to fight back against the thoughts that come into your mind. The enemy, this is his playground. This is where he wants to come. And he wants to lie to you and deceive you and tell you what you're not, tell you what you are, tell you that your mistake last week defines you. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not talking about a mistake or a struggle. He's talking about philosophy and ideology and paradigms. He said, I've come to break those things down. You have to keep fighting back. You can't just allow it to become you. You have to say, no, that's not me. I might have did it, but I'm not it. I might have thought it, but I'm not it. I, I fight back. I heard a preacher one time tell a story about thoughts being like on the platform of a train deck. And all of a sudden the train pulls up and the doors open up and it says right above where that train's going. I think some of us in this room, I want you to consider where does that thought lead you? It's not just the thought, it's about where the thought takes you. And some of us, we need to retrain our brain. Get on a new train. You don't have to get onto that train. You don't have to go down those tracks. You don't have to go down that way. I'm learning, like, if I start with that thought, this is how I'm gonna feel. If I start with that thought, this is what I'm gonna do. So I don't just filter, I fight. And then lastly, the third word is the word focus. Everyone say focus. Whatever I focus on gets bigger in my life. Look at what Isaiah says. This is a beautiful word. Isaiah 26, three. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. If I will keep my mind focused on God, God will keep my mind in perfect peace. I'll keep my mind focused on God. God will keep my mind in perfect peace. I don't know about you today, but I could use some peace. The believers in Pergamum, that's what they're, they're looking for, peace. We've got so much pressure. They just killed our pastor. Everywhere we look, it's paganism, and their ideas are creeping into our church, and so the pressure is hitting us, and so now we're starting to use scripture to say, okay, that is okay, and yeah, I can do that with my body, and yeah, that doesn't really matter, and yeah, we will eat food offered to idols, and yeah, yeah, not a big deal, not a big deal, not a big deal. And all the while, like the sorcerer Balaam who enters in, he says, I couldn't curse you, so I had to corrupt you. So Jesus, he commends he complains, he commands, and then lastly, he makes a commitment. And here's a beautiful commitment for all of us as we get ready to close. Revelation chapter two, verse 17. He who has an ear, 
let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is a prophetic book, and this is apocalyptic literature, which means it's an unveiling. It's written with imagery. And many ways, some theologians even believe that John was writing in a code because they were gonna look at his letters. And so he was having to pick things that would speak to the day of that hour. He speaks about hidden manna. We know about manna here in our church. That was the holy bread from heaven that sustained God's people in the wilderness. I think God's saying to all of us, yo, we don't have to eat the world's food. We don't have to eat the food that comes from the idols because if you'll trust in me, I'm the bread of life. I will sustain you. I will keep you going. That world can't satisfy you. They can't satisfy you. They can't sustain you. But I can. I got some hidden manna for you who don't fall into the deception, that don't fall into the lies. Trust me, I got, I got some extra manna. I could preach that all night. You didn't know I had extra. You didn't know I put some away for you. It's like the prodigal when he gets home and it's like, dad's like, get the fattened calf. Everyone's like, you have a fattened calf? He's like, yeah, I was waiting for you to come home. You have no idea how he wants to sustain you if you'll trust him. He says, I will give you the white stone with it a name that only you will know. And man, I've studied the last few weeks about this white stone, there's so many different, like nine different things this could be. One of which that I liked was that once again, we keep seeing that the, the Roman games were there and when you would win the games, many times you were given a white stone as like a trophy and it was an invitation to the great feast after the games. I think that preaches pretty good to all of us that if I'll endure, if I'll stay, I'm invited into the great banquet of eternity. But the thing that spoke to me the most the other day that I just, is that in that time period, especially in Pergamum, they were wearing these amulets, these white stones around their neck that was a superstitious thing. And on it, they would have a name and that name was usually theirs or someone that it was supposed to be a secret. And that secret name on that stone around their neck would give them the promise of protection, give them the promise of hope, give them the promise that someone greater was with them. And I just love John writing, if I can just see it this way for a moment, if I can take my liberty, that he's writing to these persecuted believers in Pergamum. And he says, listen, if you'll repent, if you'll change your mind about this stuff, if you'll come back to what we've always taught, that your body is a temple, that you can't allow corruption in your home with your kids, with your finances, with your life, you're gonna endure, and not only are you gonna endure, I'm gonna give you something better than the amulet. I'm gonna give you a white stone. And with it, there's a name on it that only you will know, but it will be our covenant that I will protect you. I will walk with you. I'm committed to you. Today, friends, I don't come with condemnation. I know it's difficult days and I keep saying that. It's gonna be difficult next Sunday too. I just know that there's a few of us that feel very called to this city of Miami, not to change it. We don't know how to change it. Let's pray that we could change the city. We, I can't do that. 
no idea. If I could do that, we would have done that. We can't change anything. It's only God who can do that. And so what we will do is we will continue to worship and believe in spite of the ridicule, the rejection, the mockery, the criticism. And we will say together, we will fight and we will dwell in the place that feels like Satan has a throne. And we're not gonna take on the world's ideologies. We understand that's happening. But in here, we're gonna speak God's word, which brings life. And rather than give the enemy our mind, we believe that there's a mind slayer. His name is Jesus. And his tongue is like a double-edged sword that it wages war against the lies of this world. And when he speaks truth to my soul, I know it doesn't look like he's for me, but I'm telling you what, I got peace on the inside. I've got confidence on the inside. I've got strength on the inside. Everything around me might be falling apart, but his truth is setting me free. He's the mind slave. He's the one who sets us free. Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we want to partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.